0: Mele Kelikimaka, and I know some of you are, uh, some of the visitors are like, wait a minute, what did he just say? See, speaking in tongues? I thought this was the Baptist church. Is this the right church? Did we come to the right? No, yes, you are the right one. Mele uh, kalikimaka. you know what that means? Merry Christmas, right? Everybody knows that song. So, um, oh, what did I just do here? I just hit something wrong. Welcome. I'm glad you guys are able to be here. I'm excited about Christmas. I hope you guys are excited. Also, uh, the title of my sermon is appropriately, The Force Awakens. All right? All right. Yeah, see, we good, right? The Force Awakens. And we can say that happened that first Christmas morning, that there was an awakening. Amen? Uh, before I get into it real fast, uh, uh, one announcement... For you. I'm really excited. Uh, you'll hear more about this and more of what's been going on uh, in the new year. But some really cool things have been happening. One of the things that we're going to be starting, a, a new kind of initiative that we're going to be starting in the new year. Hear me out first before you freak out, alright? Hear me out. We're going to be starting a church-wide scripture memory uh, together, where we, yeah, see think you guys are all like, what? Uh, where, yes, where I, all of the members, together, we will learn and meditate and memorize on the word of God. We will hide his word in our hearts together. Uh, from the youngest, as young as can, uh, my son started when he was a year and a half, about, started memorizing scripture, the 23rd, uh, 23rd Psalm, and he, now he probably has more than me, all right? No, um, he, he's not going to take me there for a while, all right? I got him, right? Um, but we're going to start as young as can to as old as can, all right? we All people, we'll memorize together. Now, how's that going to happen? We're going to start slow, all right? So no worries, we're not going to be doing uh, whole books right away. Uh, you're like, what, right away? That means later? Maybe, we'll see. Uh, Let's just start. Uh, So, in preparation for that, that's going to start the first Sunday of January. Pastor Jim's going to help head that up, and we're going to do it up here on Sunday morning as a regular staple in our services as we read, memorize, meditate on God's Word, and see how its power just unleashes uh, in our lives now, one thing you can do to help raise your hand if you have a smartphone if you if you have a smartphone of some kind, raise your hand, raise it, raise it high, any kind okay, everybody okay, raise your hand if you do not have a smartphone, raise your hand if you do not have a smartphone, you have a dumb phone all right, okay, few people still with dumb phones, last of the Mohicans over there all right so um, if you have a smartphone, go ahead and write this down or, or type it in your search engine, if you will, your app store. Uh, fighter Verse, okay? That's the app that we will be utilizing. Fighter Verse, like fighter MMA fighter verses. All right, so that's going to be an app we will be utilizing. It costs. I know you're like, I have to pay something. All right, the wise men brought gifts. They brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and you get to bring your gift of $3, all right? And I promise you this, I promise you this, it will be the best $3 you spend probably in 2016 or 2015. Because if it helps you, if it helps you to hide God's precious, precious words in your heart, it'll be money well spent. Uh, It's a great app. It's got all sorts of, any way that you like to memorize, it has it. So just play with it, explore it. You'll be hearing more about that in the next two weeks to come. Um, See me? I would say see Nick Tanaka, but he's not really here this morning, and you can probably imagine why he's not here this morning, yes? So... For those of you who don't know, Nick is our normal guy who kind of leads in singing and things. Uh, His wife is pregnant. She may be having her baby today. Maybe, maybe. I don't know. So, yes, praise God. Uh, I'm sure she's praising God the most. So, um, so. Be a prayer for them, but see one of us, see myself, see Nick, see anybody under the age of 25, and I'm sure they will be able to help you navigate that. If you do not now, if you're one of those few people that has a dumb phone, all right, and that's you, we're going to try and make some uh, some cards for you so that you can have uh, what you need. To memorize along with us, all right? Uh, there's also a website, fighterverse.com. You can go there on our normal browser, and it should have much of those things. But see me or see somebody later. We'll get you what you need. Uh, we'll talk more about that next week. All right, Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 18. So what's kind of been going on here? What's the context? So Mary and Joseph, basically chapter 1, Matthew chapter 1, has the the coming about of the birth of Christ, kind of the announcement of the angels to Mary, to the announcement of the angels to Joseph. And one of the things, we're we're not going to spend a lot of time there, but one of the things I love about Mary and Joseph is you see the obedience of faith. Just that simple obedience of faith. When they as they embrace God's unexpected plans for their life. That's just speaks volumes in and of itself. Mary wasn't a theologian. Uh, Joseph wasn't a theologian. They weren't Bible scholars. They were just poor people. And they were great people of faith. Why? Because they believed God's word and did what God said. And if you just think about it first, this isn't my sermon, so you get this for free this morning, all right? So If you just think about it, God's plan for their lives was totally, totally not what they would have planned for themselves by a long shot. You say, but that's so awesome. Like, if God told me I was going to bear him, himself, like, I think that'd be pretty cool. Except for the fact that for the rest of your life, Mary and Joseph would live with the charges of sexual immorality. They would live with the charges of Uh, gullibility Joseph would be a simpleton who actually believed his wife when she said that she was pregnant with child from the Holy Spirit they would be looked down upon forever in a small community a small town with a tarnished reputation Joseph likely wouldn't be able to hold any positions in a church any positions of prominence in a synagogue because everybody knows how babies come and it takes two And actually, Jesus carried around those rumors with him the rest of his life because uh, you remember the time when Jesus encountered the Pharisees and they said, we know who our father is. Ooh, We were not born of immorality. So Jesus lived with these rumors his whole life. And you know what Jesus' comeback was? You guys, I love this. Jesus has the best comebacks, right? You know what Jesus' comeback was? Yeah, I know who your father is. Your father's the devil. Drop the mic, walk away, right? <laughs> right? It's like, oh, right. Nobody beats Jesus uh, when it comes to that. That's a your daddy joke right there. So um, they live with this. They embrace God's unexpected plans for their lives by faith. And that's just a message in and of itself. Where are you at this morning? There's, imp- there's application. Right in the introduction, where is your life? Has it gone according to plan? I think many of us could say, not exactly. <laughs> I'm going to go back to the drawing board. My seven-year plan is now a 12-year plan, right? Where are you at in your life today? God may be working more, sal- more for your salvation than you could even imagine. Will you embrace it by faith? And so this is, we we end on that and then we open with his birth. And so we'll do that. Let's pray before we keep going. Uh, Heavenly Father, we ask for your blessings now. Father, we are unworthy men and women. We are unworthy such that you would come, you would forsake the riches of heaven of glory and make yourself poor. That you would become a baby that you would be despised by men and rejected by your people. And yet you did all this so that we through your poverty might become rich in glory with you. So Lord, may you uh, open our eyes to behold the wonders, the majesty, the greatness of Christ as seen in the incarnation. And may everybody in here, Lord, if there are any unbelievers in here, May we all leave like the wise men and worship Jesus and truly have a Christ-centered Christmas. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. I have three points. The big idea is this: there is only one proper response to Jesus. That's the big idea. So, everybody in here, I don't even know some of you. It's the first time I'm seeing some faces in here. I do know this about everybody, though, and everybody will have a response to Jesus. From the very beginning, he's been a very polarizing figure. You either love him, you are either indifferent to him, or you hate him. From the beginning, there's, there's really not a whole lot of options for you. So everybody has a response to Jesus. The only proper response to Jesus is full-hearted worship. And I pray that you leave here with that. My three points are: number one, you will either loathe Jesus; number one, you either loathe Jesus; number two, you will leave Jesus; and number three, very simply, you will love Jesus. That's where that's our three points. Let's walk through the text first. I hope, I hope. So we just finished the book of Genesis. So if you're here uh, with us for the first time this year or the first time in a long time, last Sunday we just finished up. We wrapped up walking through the book of Genesis chapter by chapter. It took us almost a whole year. We started the first Sunday of January of 2015, all right? My hope is after wrapping that up that you read this chapter, Matthew chapter 2, with new eyes. I hope there's things that stood out to you this time that maybe had never stood out to you before. You remember when I said uh, in Genesis, who's the Bible about? Jesus, right? The Bible is all pointing forward to Jesus. Now, I just want to go through real briefly the text and highlight some of these things for you. The first one comes in Micah, sorry, verse 6. It quotes Micah 5, verse 2. And I'm going to go there, not Micah 5, verse 2, but verse 6 with you. And this is what it says. The wise men come seeking, they gather all the scholars, where's the Christ to be born? And they say, in Bethlehem, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah. Interesting. I'll come back to that in a second. Are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler Who will shepherd my people Israel. Now, why is that important? You remember who is Judah? He was the chump, right? You remember Judah? He was the one that wanted to sell Joseph as a slave. He was the one who then went into the land of Canaan, married some Canaanite ladies, ended up sleeping with his own daughter-in-law, had twins by her. And he had, actually, he had several other sons before that happened, and they all died because they were so wicked. Judah was not a good man. He was not somebody to be emulated. But if you remember, by the end of Jacob's life, Judah had a change of heart. God had so changed his heart that he was a new man. And so in Genesis chapter 49, verse 10, Jacob is on his deathbed. Father Jacob, Israel, the father, the patriarch, on his deathbed. And now he's blessing his sons. You remember, he bypasses the firstborn son, Reuben. Why? Because Reuben slept with one of his wives. His oldest son slept with one of his dad's wives. Not a good thing, all right? Yeah, all this stuff is in the Bible, all right? If you're here for the first time, it's all in the Bible, all right? Uh, Simeon and Levi, second and thirdborn, they were passed over. Why? Because they murdered a whole town, Genesis 34, because the people raped their sister, all right? I'm telling you, this is a messed up, Genesis just starts and it's messed up. Uh, The effects of sin are terrible. And so he bypasses number one, two, three, and he goes to four, Judah, verse 10, Genesis 49, verse 10. And what does he say to Judah? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Oh, God's grace is amazing. What did Judah do to deserve that blessing? Nothing, nothing. What what did we do to deserve our salvation? Nothing. Salvation, God's working in salvation, is by grace alone from start to finish. The scepter shall not depart from Judah. And what do we see right here? The fulfillment of prophecy. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler. Remember, I just walked through Genesis and we saw every portion of it, how God is fulfilling his prophecy. Promise in Genesis chapter 3 to undo the effects of sin and suffering in creation. And so he says, Genesis 3.15, the seed of the woman shall bruise your head and you shall, sorry, he will crush your head and you will bruise his heel. You remember what he says to the serpent. And interestingly enough, if we were in chapter 1, we would have seen the virgin birth of Mary, the seed of the woman who will crush the head of the serpent. And then we go to verse 13 through 15. I just want to look there with you briefly. He says, Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt. Isn't that interesting? Where did Jacob and the brothers go for help. Egypt. And who was in Egypt? Joseph. Wow. And remember what I said, Egypt, the book of Genesis ends with the people of God away from the promised land in the land of Egypt. And I said, God was going to use Egypt almost like an incubator for his people to form them into a mighty nation, and he would later bring them out with a mighty hand in the book of Exodus. Very, very interesting. But they went to Egypt initially for help, or else they would have all died. And now he tells him, flee to Egypt. Why? Because Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. But that's not all. It goes on, verse 14. And he rose, Joseph, and took the child, and his mother by night, and departed to Egypt, and remained there until the death of Herod. Now, this is where it is. Check, this is so strange, right? Verse 15, second half. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, that's Jeremiah, out of Egypt, sorry, Hosea, out of Egypt, I called my son. You say, what's so significant about that, Pastor Randy? Who is he referring to here? Out of Egypt I called my son. Who is he talking about? Jesus. Not a trick question. Jesus, right? Out of Egypt I called my son Messiah. Now, Hosea chapter 11, verse 1, who is he talking about? Israel. The nation, the whole nation. keep going, verse 16. I'm going to connect the dots here for you in a second. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. So the king becomes furious and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. Now, very interesting. Now, you go to the book of Exodus, which we're going to get there probably in like a year and a half or something like that. Uh, We go to the book of Exodus, and the book opens with the people of Israel having babies upon babies upon babies. And what did the Pharaoh do? You remember what he ordered? He tried to kill all the Hebrew baby boys. In Exodus chapter 4, God tells told Moses to tell Pharaoh to let my firstborn son go. Israel is my firstborn son. Let him go. And if you do not, I will kill your firstborn sons. And you remember the 10th plague? What was it? The Passover, right, where he killed and struck down all the firstborn of Egypt. And now here we have again, Then fleeing to Egypt for help, Herod now actually uh, killing all the Hebrew boys again, almost in a direct parallel. And he says, all this happened to fulfill Scripture. Out of Egypt I called my son. Brothers and sisters, let me recommend to you or propose to you that all that happened in the Old Testament was pointing to Jesus again maybe Jesus is the true Israel, the true firstborn son, and that everything that happened prior to him was just paving the way. A picture, so to speak, clues that the Savior is coming. Jesus is the true firstborn son of Israel. So Colossians 1 picks up on this thread, the Apostle Paul, and he says, he, that is Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation." preeminent in position. He's also said to be the firstborn from the dead, so that in everything, in everything, he might have preeminence. This is also why, brothers and sisters, that Paul can say in Romans chapter 9, it is not the children of the flesh who are children of Abraham, but it is those who have been circumcised in heart or who have faith in Jesus that are the true children of Abraham and heirs according to the promise. Now, I just laid and sunk some really heavy theological roots that have lots of implications. I'll let you guys trace all that out later. But notice what he says. Out of Egypt I called my son. Jesus is the true Israel. He is the firstborn son of God. So that in everything, he might have preeminence. So, anyways, I hope that as we... uh, Linger and learn all of these things together. And one of my hopes as I go through the Old Testament with you is that you'll be able to read these passages with new eyes. That you'll be able to pick up on things that maybe you wouldn't have picked up on otherwise. Because the fact that God tells us beforehand what He's going to do, like Micah chapter 5, verse 2, was written 700 years before. God tells us what He's going to do, and then He does it. So that when He does it, we believe. That he was actually the one doing it all along. It it encourages our faith. It strengthens our hope as we wait for his second coming. Ooh, lots of stuff in this passage. Lots of cool, cool things that God has preserved for us. And so I return to my original first point. One response to Jesus is you will loathe him. You will loathe him. Where, Where is that in the text? Verse 3, when Herod the king, so the wise men come, Jerusalem, they come in, they're looking for a king, they're expecting a king. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? And Herod the king, when he heard this, he was troubled. He was troubled, so much so that uh, he tried to find out where he would be born. Uh, He said, I wanted to worship him, and then later he would kill all the baby boys to try and eliminate this king Jesus. When Herod knew, heard the news of the gospel, some of you in here are like Herod. Some of you maybe loathe Jesus. And when Herod heard this first news that the king had been born, his first response was he was troubled. Why is that? If I'm a king and this is my kingdom and I hear somebody in here is born a king, uh oh. Why is that an issue? Because there's only how many kings in a kingdom? One king. So why was Herod troubled? Herod was troubled because Herod wanted to be that king. And any other king was a threat to his power. He was also troubled. Why? Because what did the wise men say? We just blew right over it. Where is he who was born king of the Jews? You say, why is that significant? Okay, let's say I'm the king. I have one son. His name is Titus. That was actually an emperor's name at one point, right? Uh, His name was Titus. His name is Titus. Now, if I'm the king and I have a son named Titus, what does that make him? Prince. He's not born king. He's a prince until what? Until he grows up and ascends the throne and I die. Jesus was what? He was born king. Herod, Herod, by contrast, was not born king. Herod was appointed king. So when you have an appointed king or somebody who's born king, who's superior? Why? Because their throneship is by right, by birthright. Jesus was not born a prince. Jesus was born a king. He did not become a king. He was a king. And he was ruling on his throne from all eternity. And when he was born, he left his throne and he began ruling from a manger. He was born king. And he was the eternal king of all kings. And Herod hears this. And he's disturbed greatly because he doesn't want any other king he doesn't want to listen to anybody else's authority, and he doesn't want his authority challenged. And so under this guise of religiosity, he he calls all the scholars, all the people, and, and ends up telling the wise men, Well, we'll go search for this king because because I want to worship him too. Almost with a Grinch type smile, you know, like curl of lips. He's a liar. Herod's a liar. People still do this today. Do you guys know this? People lie today. I'm sorry to break it to you guys. I know you came in here in peace on earth and goodwill to men and you're in good moods. I have to break it to you. People still lie today. And they still lie under the guise of religion. Some people may even think I'm lying up here. Fair enough, all right? But people still lie under the guise of religion. And that's what Herod did. He was a liar. Some of you will loathe Jesus. Some of your responses will be similar to Herod. I don't know. Just taking a guess. And why would that be? Because you, like Herod, figuratively speaking, you want to be the own king of your life. You don't want to answer to anybody for what you do, you don't want anybody to tell you what to do and expect you to obey. You want to be the own king, unchallenged authority in your life. I decide how I live my day. I decide how my relationships look. I decide who I sleep with, who I don't sleep with. I decide what I do with my children. With, with every, you want to be king of your life. And so any news, like Herod, of another king who would challenge your authority makes you cringe. it's revolting. And so you may be like Herod if you're like this, if that's you. You're like him. You loathe Jesus. You don't want this new king. And then there's some people who go a step further, and they're like Herod, and they lie. They cover their hatred with religion. And so they come. maybe they come to church, and They come to Sunday school and and they claim to love God, to want to worship him, but they actually hate him. How would you know if that was you? Because you might be like, dude, I don't hate God. I don't want to kill baby Jesus. Here's one symptom that that may be you. If you find yourself claiming you love God and hating, disliking, don't really care for Somebody in his church, you're self-deceived, and you actually loathe Jesus Himself. You say what? How, how do we just make the how do we just make the jump from uh, not liking somebody in the church as if like uh, Jim Wilson right here in the front row? I don't like you, and so I'm now saying that I hate Jesus because I don't like you. How does that? Happen, Brothers and sisters, this is how that happens. Jesus so identifies with his people that he calls them his very body, such that when, the, when Saul, you remember Saul, right? The great persecutor of the church. When a man named Saul was persecuting the church, the Lord Jesus, post-resurrection and glory Jesus, encounters Saul on the road to Damascus. And what does he say to Saul? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul had never even seen Jesus. He never talked to Jesus. He never persecuted Jesus. He was persecuting his people. But yet, Jesus so identifies with his people such that to reject one person of his people is to reject the Lord Jesus himself. And so John concludes in the book of 1 John and says, If anyone says they love God and yet hates his brother, how can the love of God be in him? They're a liar like Herod, and they loathe Jesus, and they're self-deceived. And if that's you, I want to invite you to repent and know that Jesus is a good king who will challenge your authority in all the best ways. Because your authority is being used to destroy yourself. And Jesus will use his authority to deliver you. So come to Jesus this morning, if that's you. So that's one response, you will loathe Jesus. Number two, you might be the person who will leave Jesus. Now what does that mean? Go back to verse three and notice what it says. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. And the next phrase, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born, and they told him, and and he goes on and he tells them to search diligently for the child in Bethlehem. So what is this point you will leave Jesus? Some of you are like all of Jerusalem. Now remember now, this is God's covenant people. They're supposed to be waiting for him. Now notice, he summons all the scribes, all the teachers, the the Sunday school teachers, the Bible scholars, the Bible school graduates, and and they all come together and he says, uh, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? Because these guys are looking for him. And they say, in Bethlehem, like five or six miles away. That'd be like if somebody came here and was like, hey, where's Jesus? We'd be like, oh, he's supposed to be born in Kihei. Okay, It's, it's not far. You can make it there in a day if you walk fast. And notice, who goes with the wise men? Nobody. Does that not strike you as odd? God's people who have been groaning all this time under Roman oppression, here their king is born, the promised Messiah, and what is their response? I'll let you guys go find him. You guys, that's cool. I mean, these guys are looking for the king of the Jews here. They have lots of camel, lots of gold, lots of treasure. They're very powerful men. Maybe they're onto something. But you know what? I'm too busy. My life is just going. You don't know what's happening right now. The holiday season, man, it's just so busy. You guys go find them, and if something happens, I'll, maybe I'll come check them out too. Some of you are like that they knew the Bible. These weren't pagans. They knew the scriptures. They knew where he was to be born. They knew the prophecies. Some of you are like that. You've been in church. Maybe you've grown up in church. You know the Bible stories. You know scriptures. You can quote them maybe. You know the promises, the prophecies. And at the end of the day, Life is just a little too busy for you to make time for King Jesus. That may be you. And you may be slightly disturbed at the news that Jesus may require more of his people than what they give him. So you may leave it to somebody else to do that. You know, man, Pastor Randy, Christmas is just cool. I haven't read the Christmas story of my family. We don't, we don't really do a whole lot, but it's just so busy. Things are just so, so busy. There's echoes of us in each of these. There should be. Because none of us are fully delivered from sin. The last one, point three. You will owe Jesus, you will leave Jesus, leave it to others. Or number three, you will love Jesus. That's where I want to end. That's the, the last and only proper response to the birth of King Jesus, is that you will worship him and you will love him. So these wise men, how many wise men are there? Oh, okay, let's try it again. How many wise men are there? Oh, okay, if you say three, raise your hand. Oh, you're scared, you're scared. All right, if you're scared to raise your hand, raise your hand. All right. How many, if you don't know how many wise men there are, raise your hand. If there were 12 wise men, raise your hand. Okay, okay. How many do we have? Well, the answer's right here. So uh, one, two, three, three, three. So is that the final? Actually, I'm going to have to tell Pastor Bong. Sorry, you may have to put like a maybe up there or like an asterisk on the bottom. It is not exactly known how many wise men there are. We actually don't know that there were three. This is the only portion of the Bible, Matthew chapter 2, where we hear anything about the wise men. None of the other gospels record the wise men. And this is all it says. Wise men, verse 1, from the east. Where are they from? The east. I don't know. Somewhere out in Hana, right? The, The wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. We don't hear much more else other than them presenting the gifts. We don't know that there's three. So I'm sorry, your nativity scene is, you have to take it back, all right? Take it back. And did, it, did he come, did they come when he was born? That night he was born, like, nah, there he is. And then they show up? no. Herod killed, how old were the babies that he killed? Two years and under, based on the time he had ascertained from the wise men. So Jesus could have been as old as two years old by the time they got there. So again, I'm sorry, your, your, your manger scene, my manger scene, it's all wrong. Your life is a lie. See, people are liars. It sells. It sells. Okay, no. All right. So you can't have like a dozen, men because now it's just three is so much better, right? That's all we know about the wise men. But they came from the east. They came from afar at great cost and great danger to themselves. And that day to travel uh, in a caravan with lots of gold and valuable things was not a good thing. And you didn't know where you were going. They didn't know. They were just following a star. They didn't know where that star would stop. So as they go into town after town, oh, where are you guys heading? It's a long story, all right? It's a long story. We're following the star. I know it's crazy. There's a king, right? Oh, okay, sweet. Nice gold. Nice. Okay, it was at great danger and great cost to themselves, but they knew it was worth it. They knew this king somehow. How did they know? We don't know. We have possibilities. Maybe it was Daniel. During the exile, could have been Daniel that taught them. How do we know that? How did they know? We don't know how they knew, but they knew. And they were looking for he who has been born king of the Jews. What does this show us? It shows us, one, that Jesus is a savior for all peoples. He was born a Jew, but he came for all peoples. I look across this church and it brings me a lot of joy because there are many different nationalities represented here. And one of the ways we glorify God in the work of Christ is by reflecting that multicultural, multi-ethnic people that he came to save. And he's a savior for all peoples, of all races, of all classes, of all births and statuses and everything. He came for all peoples. And so these people from the East, come to pay homage to king jesus and loved it says when they found him check this out when they found him verse 10 when they saw the star go over to bethlehem it says they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy if you're writing, uh, if, if you don't have movies, you don't have uh, Facebook or, or Vine or videos of any kind, and, and you want to portray somebody's just really, really happy over something they just found, what do you do? You write it like four times. They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. They were very, 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 very happy when they saw this, all right? For many reasons, I'm sure, because they're like, finally, we're here, right? We came, and there's Jesus. They were so happy. This is the response of one who has seen Jesus, joy. Many of you, that was your response when you first came to Christ, when you found that your sins were forgiven. Joy. Rejoice, it's weight lifted off your back joy and that's what they did they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy and then they did something very strange to do to a baby and what does it say they fell down and worshiped him i'm not very old actually one of the things that people first generally say when they find out how old i am is they say uh wow you're really young to which I reply, I was just potty trained last week. So I'm I'm doing good, all right, by God's grace, okay? But I'm not very old, but even for my my young age, I, I'm starting to feel with my little son and daughter now, to do this can get kind of tiring, can get tiring. I don't like to, my knees hurt, and I just get sore, and, and then I got to stand back up, right? And so I'm looking for something to like Help me! It's it's bad. I know it's bad. And you guys are like, just wait, just wait. It gets way worse, all right? I know. And so what these guys do is they see this baby Jesus. These men of power, wealthy, these wise men, and they fall down and worship this baby. Interesting. Very, very interesting. Why is that interesting? These wise men. probably weren't expecting a toddler. Or else they might have adjusted their gifts. (laughs) Gold, frankincense, myrrh, really? Okay. They were probably expecting a man. Or at least a a young boy next to a king, perhaps. Somebody of power. Instead, they find a boy in a house with his mom. And nobody's looking for him. I say, why is that interesting, Pastor Randy? Because sometimes we come to Jesus with expectations of what we think he is or should be or how he should act or what he should do. We have these expectations of, well, this is kind of my picture of Jesus. And if Jesus doesn't fit my expectation of who I think he is or who I think he should be, we don't worship him. We walk away from him. And so in today's culture, we have many people who love, love the uh, the turn-the-other-cheek Jesus. And they love the um, give-a-cup-of-cold-water Jesus, the compassionate Jesus. And they love all these other things, the do-unto-others Jesus. I love that Jesus. But when they see the full picture of who Jesus really is, King of kings, Lord of lords, who commands absolute obedience and nothing less and lays down his life for his people. When they see that Jesus, who said, I did not come to bring peace but a sword. When they see the full picture of Jesus, do you allow Jesus to alter your expectations, to change your vision of him, or do you force your vision onto Jesus. If you do, you'll be sorely disappointed. You'll you'll find that the Jesus you worship is not the Jesus of the Bible, but is actually an idol, it's a false Jesus. And these wise men, part of the reason they're wise is because they allow their expectations to adjust to this king. What's fascinating about it also? It's fascinating that they bow down and worship him, and what is he doing right now? He's a baby, he's a toddler. He hasn't even done a miracle yet. He hasn't preached the Sermon on the Mount yet. He hasn't walked on water, calmed storms. He hasn't been crucified to a cross or risen again three days later. He, He hasn't done any of that. They don't know any of that. All they see is a young baby boy. And with the eyes of faith, with the eyes of faith, they see the king of kings and the ruler of the world, and they worship him. Brothers and sisters, we have so, so much. You have the fullness of revelation. You know the miracles and the teachings and you've seen his love as he was nailed to a cross for his enemies and he now proclaims forgiveness of sins and you've seen his resurrection. How do you respond to Jesus this morning? I pray that it will be with love and adoration and worship. I'm going to close a little bit by just talking about their gifts very briefly. They bring him three gifts. Number one, gold. What's the second one? Frankincense. Frankincense. And the third one? Myrrh. Myrrh. Just be honest. How many of you don't know why they brought him those gifts? If you don't know why they brought him those gifts, it's cool. It's an exercise of humility. Say, I don't know. It's okay. If you don't know, it's okay. Okay, Raise your, lower your hands. Thank you. Thank you. It was a long time before I really understood why, I mean, raise your hand if you don't know what myrrh is. What is myrrh? I don't even know what myrrh is, right? Why? Okay, and why would you bring that to this king who you think is, is somebody worthy of worship, right? Why would you do that? Very interesting. They brought him gold. Remember what they said, where is he was born? King. Gold is for kings and still is today. That's why I don't have any. I'm not a king all right Uh, I don't have them the only throne I have is not one I should talk about here you guys will get it later some of you gold they bring him gold because gold is for kings and he is a king born king he would never stop being a king they bring him frankincense what's this deal with frankincense Well, if you just take Frank off, leave Frank at home, what do you have left? Incense, all right? It's frankincense. One of the things they would do with frankincense, priests would use it as they would offer incense. And incense smells good. And and so God says, you know, prayer is kind of like this. It's a sweet aroma. Zechariah, you remember the father of John the Baptist, what was he doing when the angel appeared to him? He was in the temple offering up the incense, probably the only time in his life the greatest privilege he would ever get to do as a priest when the angel met him. This foretold the priesthood of Christ. He is our king and he's also our priest. Paul would later tell Timothy, young Timothy, young Pastor Timothy, there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. He is our great high priest, according to the book of Hebrews. After the order not of Aaron, but of Melchizedek, a greater order. So frankincense foretold of his priesthood. And last, myrrh. Myrrh. What in the world, world is myrrh? It's actually, an, this is interesting, it's an embalming fluid. It's what you would use if you're going to mummify somebody, perhaps or bury them. It's an embalming fluid. It had other uses as well, but that was one of its main uses at the time, as they would use it as an embalming fluid. Interesting that you would give that to a baby. Make no doubt, the death of Jesus was the goal. The goal of Christmas is Easter. He didn't stay a baby. He would go from the cradle to the cross. And he would die as a sacrifice for sinners. And this was foretold from before he was even born and from the time he was born. You remember Simeon. He looks at his mom and says, a sword will pierce your soul. As his own mother would watch him nailed to a cross. So this foretold of his sacrifice, his role as a sacrifice, the gift of myrrh. Now, another interesting thing about this myrrh, it was given to him at the beginning of his life. When was the next time we see myrrh in the life of Jesus? At the end. You remember, he's on the cross. The soldiers fill a sponge, and they put it at the end of a spear, and they mix it with wine and myrrh. And after he's, he, and he rejects it, and after he dies, Joseph of Arimathea goes, and what does he do? He takes the body of Jesus, and he wraps it with spices and myrrh. So the first thing that resurrected Jesus, when he is resurrected, when his lungs, his dead lungs, begin to breathe and inhale, his nostrils begin to take in air, the first thing he is going to smell is? Myrrh. shows up at the beginning of his life and at the end of his life. Isn't it a wonder that all these things, God working, all, any of these things, accidents? No, God's providence is at hand in a million things. Not only, around, not only around the life of Jesus, but also your life. All these gifts foreshadow who this baby would be. He'd be the priest, the great high priest, the king of kings and the ultimate and final sacrifice for sins. His very name, Jesus, means God saves. Do you need a savior this morning? Are you aware of that? Maybe you were like the one that you're like, you're you're identifying more with, I loathe Jesus or I leave Jesus. If that's you, Jesus saves. He can deliver you. He can rescue you. He can give you a joyful, abundant life in Christ. And he does it through his sacrifice. And he offers you today to repent and believe. And for my brothers and sisters, this Christmas we get the joy of ourselves incarnating, if you will, the love of God, the one who is made poor so that he might make others rich. actively plan your christmas day to serve others somehow we'll all do it differently but actively plan your day to incarnate the love of god to your neighbors to your families to your unbelieving friends so that they may become rich in christ what will be your response loathe leave or love let's pray Father, we thank you for your Son, for the gift of your Son, that you sent him into the world as a sacrifice for sinners. And may our response be like the wise men, that we would rejoice exceedingly with great joy as we sing in response and praise to you this Christmas. And as Christ is lifted up, would you draw all men. I ask these things for your glory and in your name. Amen.